Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the true story of Joan Shannon. Her lover, Jeff, and her husband, David. A tale of sex parties. There would be people having sex with each other right in front of each other. Betrayal. She became more desperate to be with Jeffrey. She became more desperate to get rid of David and to end his life. And murder. She looked at me as cold as ice and said, did he die? Beware, extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. Fayetteville, North Carolina is a small city in the southeastern corner of the state. It's best known as the home of Fort Bragg Army Base and as a haven for military families. We have Pope Air Force Base and um, the Army stationed here. So we get thousands of soldiers a month. It was a very transient city because of the military. In 2000, David Shannon, a 38-year-old major in the United States Army, takes over a new post at the base, and Fayetteville becomes home for the Shannon family. The Shannon family lived in a rented house near Fort Bragg, which is quite common in Fayetteville. A lot of the neighborhoods near the base cater to military families. David worked for Special Forces. He was a computer technology person. He was a certainly a military man, a, somewhat of an imposing figure, a, a sharp-looking fella when he was dressed in his military uniform. Tall, dark hair, very happy-go-lucky type gentleman. David has been married to his 33-year-old wife, Joan, for nine years, since 1991. Joan Shannon appeared to be the typical, normal, average housewife that anybody would encounter in their daily life. She seemed like most any other military wife. Joan appeared to be a very nice, nice lady. She was very unassuming. Wasn't very extravagant by any means. They have four children, 
two young boys and two teenage daughters from Joan's previous marriage, whom David adopted as his own. He did a very commendable thing, I think, in that he adopted her children and tried to provide a, a father for them. And evidently, the, the, the children didn't have a relationship with their biological father, so he was trying to fill that role as their dad. The Shannons may seem like a typical military couple, upstanding, maybe a little conservative, but just under the surface, Joan and David lead a shocking secret life. Joan and Dave definitely had a non-traditional marriage, to say the least. Soon after they move to Fayetteville, they join an illicit underground sex club, which caters to their highly charged erotic lifestyle. Joan and David Shannon were what some people call swingers. Swingers are basically people who get together to swap partners and, and have sex with other people in these, these organized events. The members would post listings, either on the internet, in the paper, for meeting locations, and they would meet and participate in sexual activity. The club evidently met once a month at this hotel. They would have two rooms rented adjoining. One of the rooms was sort of the reception room, the meet and greet room, and it, you, know, you would relax and chat. And then the adjoining room would be the more of the party room where the, the sexual activity would take place. there would be people having sex with each other right in front of each other. It was sort of almost matter of fact. Someone would offer or ask to do something and they would do whatever they would do and then they would return to conversation as though they were having a drink together at a bar. The point of the swinging scene is to explore your sexual variety and your sexual fantasies with your spouse there. They don't want to break up their families and their marriages, so they attempt to contain it within this institutionalized secret society of swinging. For the Shannons, swinging is all about fulfilling their deepest desires, and David knows his wife Joan's sexual appetite better than anyone. Joan liked to have sex with black men. David wants to satisfy his wife's sexual desires, so he approaches a man named Jeff in an online chat room. They both were in the United States Army, uh, so they were both were military personnel. Jeffrey was an average-looking black man in his 30s. He wasn't Denzel Washington, but he wasn't ugly either. Jeffrey was the average guy you would know in Fayetteville, I think, by all appearances. At some point, their conversation turned to the swinging lifestyle. Then, David emails Jeff with a very unusual proposition. David brings to Jeff a question that Jeff never expected. Would you like to have sex with my wife? It definitely sparked Jeffrey's curiosity. This probably wasn't the first time that David had solicited another male to have sex with his wife. She was always constantly seeking the attention of other men. The two military men make plans online to formally meet at the next swinger party. On a chilly evening in February 2002, Joan gets ready for a night at the sex club. She makes herself up and puts on an outfit that makes her feel sexy and that she knows will make men want her. Joan Shannon had a very intense sexual drive. This dominated her entire life at this point. It drove her as far as what she did, where she went, and who she was with. As part of this culture, black men were actually considered gold. 
The members would feel like they were very desirable sexual partners. Certain racial stereotypes hold full sway at the sex parties. Now you're adding this element of spice there with the mythology of the incredibly virile and sexually powerful black male. They were allowed to come to a party unescorted by a woman. The other men could only come to a swinging party, obviously if they had a date or someone with them. When Joan sees Jeff, the man her husband has picked out just for her, she feels the thrill of desire. She wants him. Got the invitation of a woman at the party to open his pants, and this other woman and Joan began performing oral sex on Jeffrey. And the action doesn't stop there. Joan and Jeff bring another partner into the mix. At the same party, he had sex with Joan while Joan was performing oral sex on another man. And David watches it all from the corner of the room. It was not unusual at these parties for David to be someone of observer that was watching Joan have sex with these other partners. Voyeurism is part of that. It means you like to watch other people having sex. And for some people, the response to that is exhibitionism. They like to be watched. And quite simply, it turns them on. It's an intense night of sexual fulfillment, and fantasies come true for Joan. A month later, in March 2002, David, Joan, and Jeff meet again at another swinger party. The further they delve into swinging, the kinkier things get. Tonight, they're set to explore an even more taboo fantasy. There are sort of subgroups of swinging, and in particular, uh, one that Joan and David were involved in was they were into what's called gangbanging swinging. And this is a subculture. They would go, and in particular, Joan would be the center of attention. They would get together with more than one or two men, maybe as many as three, four, five men, and they would have sexual intercourse with Joan. And this would go on for hours. That party, there was multiple males. I think there was four males, uh, including David, that were having sex with Joan. David has brought his camera along to document the night. David would take pictures. And sometimes Jeffrey took pictures. They kept these pictures for their, I guess, their private memories and so on. We had thousands of pictures from the computer of David when he took at this party. Uh, they were all very graphic. After the sex party, Joan and David return home together as usual. Even when they swing, they always remain a committed married couple. But this time, something changes. The morning after, Joan can't stop thinking about Jeff. There's something there, some pull towards this man that isn't like the other sexual romps. She wants to see him again. They began talking online, and then they eventually began meeting one another for sex. When Joan and Jeff get together now, they're alone. It's intimate and very different than the swinger parties. He had met with Joan on numerous occasions and had sex with her at her own house, even in her vehicle. Jeffrey described how the frequency that they would meet to spend time together and to have sex increased. They were getting together three or four times a week. Joan doesn't tell David about meeting Jeff, and their illicit behavior soon becomes more than just sex. They're starting to enter truly dangerous waters, emotional attachment. What started as just meeting for sex became a relationship where they were talking online a lot, where they were meeting and eating together. It had gone from swinging to an affair, you could say. And that's where she crossed the line in her relationship with David. 
Like many swingers, Joan and David follow a specific set of rules, and those boundaries are being shattered. The rules were basically, you're in love with your spouse, but you can go off and have sex with other people through the, their organized parties. It was acceptable for the couple, so long as it was just sex. The relationship that developed between Joan and Jeffrey violated the rules of the uh, swinging lifestyle that David and Joan had because she had become emotionally attached with Jeffrey. The last thing Joan needs is for David to find out about her affair. Joan told Jeff that David had to be more discreet so that David would not find out about their relationship. She knew that if David found out uh, about the relationship, she would, he would put a halt to it. And David isn't the only person being kept in the dark. Jeffrey had a wife and children that did not even know about him being involved in this swinging lifestyle. They certainly did not know about Joan. With each encounter, Joan's desire to be with Jeff becomes more insatiable. Was she breaking the most basic rule of all? Was she falling in love? Joan's attachment to Jeff was getting stronger and stronger to the point that she started to detach herself from David. She pulled father away from David, even to the point of they're no longer having sex together. And so you can imagine this could be more and more difficult, putting more and more strain on the marital relation. As her relationship with Jeffrey grew, Joan would start going out all night and staying out late, and this bothered David. He got upset. Where was his wife going? What was she doing? David suspects Joan is involved with someone. He has a feeling it's Jeff. He lays down the law. David had told Joan that he wanted her to stop seeing anyone outside of the marriage, and if she had such a relationship, that relationship needed to stop. This upset her. She became angry. She became irate. She told Jeff that she was not going to stop seeing him. How dare he tell her that, and that they would continue dating. Jeff wants to make sure Joan is telling the truth about David's forbidding their involvement, so he reaches out to David in an online chat, inquiring about the next swinger party. Jeffrey asked, uh, when's Joan coming out again? And David responded that he could not see Joan anymore, that David and Joan were going to work on their marriage and not engage in the swinging lifestyle at this point. What started out as a sexually open and adventurous swingers lifestyle for David Shannon, his wife Joan, and her lover Jeff has become a volatile mix of jealousy and anger that will end in murder. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's 2002 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Joan Shannon is married to David, but she's in love with Jeff, who she met at a swinger party. What started out as a sexual fantasy has now become a full-blown extramarital affair. In fact, Joan's feelings for Jeff are stronger than anyone could have expected. As Joan and Jeffrey's relationship continued through the winter and the spring and toward the summer of 2002, Joan fell in love with Jeffrey. Joan began to spend more time with Jeffrey and even included the girls in spending time with Jeffrey. Her daughters, Elizabeth and Daisy, knew who Jeffrey was. Uh, They knew that was their mother's boyfriend, uh, for lack of a better word, and that the two of them were spending a lot of time together. And I think she even confided in one or both of the girls that she no longer loved David and that she wanted to be with Jeffrey. Joan wants a new life with a new man. She thinks about divorcing David, but there's a problem. Joan wanted to leave David, but leaving somebody, especially if you've got four children, is a very expensive proposition. She felt she couldn't get out of the marriage because she couldn't afford to get out of the marriage. There's plenty of money sitting right within her reach, but the cost of getting to it is deadly. There were several life insurance policies, and the life insurance policies totaled approximately $713,500. So there was certainly money that was going to come Joan's way if David was out of the picture. Joan is hedonistic. She's pleasure-seeking. And not just sexually, money can buy you a lot of pleasure, too. It would simply be the solution to all of her problems. Joan and David's marriage is falling apart, and so is home life with their four children. The Shannon home was just one of the most dirty, unkempt places that I've ever seen. There was clothes everywhere, dirty dishes. It's as if no one had even dusted, mopped, or cleaned up in months. The girls described never being told Uh, while they were being raised in that household that their parents loved them. 
They never spent any time with them. They were always on the computer or away from the home. One wonders simply with the time constraints, what does that leave for a stable family life? What does that leave for emotional availability to your children? If your head is all wrapped around when you're having your next sex swingers party or how you're covering up your affairs outside of the marriage. Life is particularly difficult for 15-year-old Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a very rebellious, troubled teenager. She was having trouble with some fighting in school, was having trouble with drugs and alcohol. I think she was in, involved in using marijuana and was having sex with, with boys that were older than her. Her behavior became erratic. She was going out at all hours of the night. She was gone for days at a time and without any discipline or any kind of concern on the, on the um, part of her mother, Joan Shannon. While Joan all but ignores Elizabeth, David attempts to intervene as a parent. The military father tries to keep his troubled daughter under his thumb, to no avail. David did try to get Elizabeth to not sneak out at night, not run with the wrong crowd, not use drugs and alcohol. Then I think that David was trying to do what he could to set some boundaries for her and for the other children. But at the same time, there was never that parental relationship developed between David and Elizabeth. She just kept resisting him, and one of the, her excuses was, he's not my real father. I think David being the disciplinary figure was hard on Elizabeth because she, she wasn't used to that. She didn't get it from her mother, and it wasn't a form of attention that, that she wasn't used to. I think it was perceived in a negative way. Undoubtedly, Liz had a lot of anger about David. She never felt that love and affection for him. And I can tell you that traditionally, kids who are being disciplined by someone who's not their biological parent have a great deal of resentment. While David struggles to discipline Elizabeth, Joan continues to feed her own sexual appetite. She would continue seeing Jeffrey behind David's back. David would not know how many times they were getting together uh, for sex or to socialize. The relationship was very secretive. Jeff visited the house on several occasions when, when David was not at home. Not only just meeting with Joan, but to engage in sexual activity. Joan was so involved emotionally with Jeff that she was willing to do whatever it takes to continue seeing him. Joan's actions become increasingly more desperate. She starts to come up with dangerous, reckless schemes to let her continue the affair, some quite sinister. Joan was trying to acquire the date rape drug to give to her husband, David, knock him out for the night so she could go off and spend the night with Jeffrey without getting caught. But then at some point she also said, well, if I give him enough, he may never wake up. Joan isn't able to obtain the drug, but it doesn't seem to discourage her. She had to think in whole new ways about how to keep that incredible feeling of being in love with Jeff. How could she keep it going? How could she get the man she wanted? but keep the financial security that she was dependent on. Joan thinks about that $700,000 life insurance policy. The only way Joan can truly have the life she desires with Jeff and have enough money to enjoy herself is if David is out of the picture. Joan began talking about how much life would be better if he would just die. She would say, why can't he just crash in a plane and die? She would say these things in front of her children and express how she wanted him dead. She 
became more desperate to be with Jeffrey. She became more desperate to get rid of David and to end his life. After all the tension between Joan and David, one day she does something sweet and thoughtful for her husband. She offers him a strawberry milkshake. To David, it may seem like a peace offering, but what he doesn't know is what Joan has added to the mix. It's the middle of 2002 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Joan Shannon is madly in love with Jeff, a man she became intimately involved with after meeting him at a local swinger party. She can't afford to divorce her husband, David, but she could collect a small fortune in insurance money and run away with Jeff if David were dead. Joan decided that she wanted David dead and she was willing to do whatever it would take to make that happen. Joan told Jeffrey that she couldn't take this anymore, that she wanted to be with Jeffrey, that the two of them needed to just run off together and that sort of thing. So Joan obviously was becoming um, more and more distraught about the fact that she could not be with Jeffrey. In a brazen and risky attempt to kill her husband, Joan adds poison to a strawberry milkshake and hands it to him. He offered to Joan, why don't we give it to one of the children? And of course, it couldn't be given to the children because they had poison in it, so it was poured down the drain. But Joan isn't about to give up. She tries again, adding poison to David's food. This time, he ingests it. And soon, he takes a turn for the worse. It made David sick, uh, and he threw up violently. He is horribly ill and suffers all night long. It seems as though Joan's plan is working. But then, miraculously, David turns the corner. It did not kill him, and there was no sustaining uh, damage or injuries as a result of that. Despite her many efforts to poison David, each of them failed, and she was not successful. For the moment, it seems hopeless. Joan's husband just won't die and make things easy for her. She complains to Jeff about her failing marriage, but Joan has built up a fantasy world centered around Jeff. It's all her dream of a future together, not his. He had no desire to leave his wife and children. He would tell her that uh, he loved her, that she was beautiful, to continue the sexual part of their relationship. Jeff didn't really love her. He was just playing her. But because he was putting all of that effort into manipulating her, she was falling for it hook, line, and sinker. That limerence, that tingly feeling of being a teenager in love is clouding all of the logic about what would really happen if I carry out this plot to kill my husband. Until now, Joan has neglected her children to indulge in her sexual obsessions. So it's surprising when she suddenly begins lavishing attention on her daughter Elizabeth. Joan started spending more time with Elizabeth, started being nicer to her, trying to be a friend with her. She began to do things with her, take her to the mall, take her shopping, take her out to dinner, try to develop somewhat of a normal mother-daughter relationship. Elizabeth, as you would expect, just ate this up. She enjoyed it. She was finally getting the attention from her mother that she had wanted and that she hadn't had for most of her life. Elizabeth is like somebody who's been in the desert and she finally comes to an oasis, so this is very important to her. 
Joan also during this time began to paint David as the bad person, the person who was hindering their relationship, who was being difficult, her, who's the one that was being the disciplinarian. Everything became negative. How much she hated him. Their life was just terrible all of a sudden. And she wanted anything to get away from him and promised Elizabeth how much better life would be without him. They would get all this money and that uh, John would buy Elizabeth anything she wanted. We know that Elizabeth is not too happy with her stepfather because she's a rebellious teenager and he's laying down the law to her. And all of a sudden, her mother is validating and identifying with that. The tap dance that would go on between Joan and her daughter, Liz, became very complicated when she began to realize that Liz could become her ally. Somebody who might actually uh, dislike her husband, David, enough to join her forces and think, our lives would be so much better without him. What can we do to get out of this situation and still be a family, but escape David Shannon? Finally, Joan makes a shocking request. Joan asked Elizabeth to kill David, her adopted father, and the only person she had ever known as her father. What kind of mother would do something like this? What kind of mother would manipulate their 15-year-old daughter into killing their stepfather? She didn't have, perhaps, ill will towards her daughter intrinsically, but she didn't care about her. Liz was a great disappointment, constant problem in the household, and imagine her removed from her life. All of that can disappear, along with the husband, who is in the way of her being with the man she is in love with. It's almost like killing two birds with one stone. Joan may think she has the perfect plan, but Elizabeth doesn't take the bait. Elizabeth responded, no, she wasn't going to do it. However, Joan won't take no for an answer and works at wearing down Elizabeth's resolve. Elizabeth was reluctant to do this crime, and her mom continued to insist. Joan had told Elizabeth that because of her age, her being a juvenile, that if, if she was arrested, charges wouldn't stick and that she wouldn't get in any trouble. She seems to have her own issues with anger in general. She is a rule breaker. All of this comes together for her and in the illogic of a really troubled and dysfunctional teenage girl, she sees this as the perfect solution. The mother she always wants, the kind, talkative, nurturing mother shows up, but it comes with big strings attached. After being pressured for weeks by the mother whose attention she so desperately wanted, Elizabeth Shannon finally agrees to murder her father. But can she go through with it? It's 2002 in the military town of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Joan Shannon wants her husband, David, dead so she can collect insurance money and run off with Jeff, her lover from local swinger parties. Now she thinks she's found someone to commit the crime, her own daughter, Elizabeth. The plot that Joan had set into motion with Elizabeth to kill David was to make this look like a robbery. Joan had said that they would be asleep 
and to shoot David twice so she could make sure that he was dead. Joan doesn't give Elizabeth a date yet. First, she needs a weapon, and she doesn't have to look very far. David had a number of guns in the house, and it was easy for Joan to take one of those guns and give to Elizabeth without David being aware of that. Now that Joan has her daughter involved in her scheme, she pulls Elizabeth deeper and deeper into the details of planning and practicing for the murder. Joan made sure she had uh, surgical gloves so that she would not leave any prints on the weapon. Joan wanted Elizabeth to practice shooting the weapon to be more prepared to use the weapon. Elizabeth went to a nearby open area and actually test-fired the weapon. On the evening of July 21st, 2002, Elizabeth practices shooting the weapon while Joan and Jeff drive to a remote parking lot to feed their constant sexual needs. Joan was a very narcissistic person. She only cared about herself and her own pleasure. She already had put in place a plan to have David killed, and in the midst of that, she goes off and has sexual relations. Nothing can get your mind off a murder plot, like going to bed with the guy who is the whole reason you're doing the murder plot in the first place. It's really just an escape mechanism. I don't want to think about it, so take me away. And Jeff had the ability to do that for Joan. Suddenly, a phone call interrupts Joan and Jeff in the middle of their erotic encounter. And it was David calling for Joan. I think as, as time went on, it was hard to hide from him. By the next day, July 22nd, Joan can't take it anymore. She wants Elizabeth to murder David immediately, even though Elizabeth has invited her friend Vera over for a sleepover. The next few hours are about to take them all into a nightmare. About 9 o'clock, Vera and Elizabeth went into Elizabeth's room, closed the door, were listening to music. Joan uh, came into Elizabeth's room at about 11 o'clock or a little after and said that she and David were going to bed for the night. Approximately 2 a.m., the boys were asleep in their room, and Joan and David were in their bedroom. Elizabeth put on the gloves, got the gun that her mother provided for her, and she walked down the hallway the bedroom of her brothers and went into the bedroom of her mother and father. She listened to his breathing. He's breathing deep and heavy and slow. He's a man asleep. And then his breath caught a moment, which kind of scared her. She took the pistol, put it up towards his head, fired one round into his head. She heard him gurgling and making noises. So she then took the pistol, aimed it towards his chest, and fired into his chest one more time. Joan woke from the sound of the gunshots. She got up, she saw what happened. Joan began to give the orders of what to do. She told Elizabeth to go and get rid of the weapon. Elizabeth throws the gun and gloves in a garbage bag. She gets rid of the evidence and returns to bed. Joan prepares herself for the next move. Now, she has to pull off the performance of a lifetime. Vera testified that Joan kind of looked up and said, I need to think of something to cry about. That after Joan made that statement, she then got onto the phone to 911 and sounded upset as she described that an intruder had came in her home 
and shot her husband. Police arrive moments later. Joan is ready with her story. Joan stated that they were lying in bed asleep. She was awakened by a pop, pop. And then she heard someone running down the hallway. She stated that she immediately got up and turned the light on and saw that he had been shot. Officer Godbold notices something odd about Joan's demeanor. Joan was actually calm when she was telling me what had happened. Uh, She was not crying, no tears. Uh, It was like she was telling me a story. Um, She was very cold, very stone-like. I sensed that something wasn't right with the situation. Joan, who's lying in bed beside someone who was shot twice at point-blank range, has no blood on her. The police also thought that was unusual. And she obviously had not clung to him or tried to assist him in any way. Officers thoroughly checked the residence. So far, Joan's story is not adding up. This did not have the normal MO for a robbery because you had no forced entry, you had no items taken, and the law enforcement officers took note of that and thought that was suspicious. Paramedics arrive and enter the master bedroom. David was lying in the bed. He had a sheet partial way. There was blood all over the walls. He was laying there with his hands crossed on his chest. At that time, David Shannon was pronounced dead. Joan asks Officer Godbold to break the news to Elizabeth. And I walked over to this teenager. And I said, I don't know how to tell you this, but your your dad has been shot. And she looked at me as cold as ice and said, did he die? And I had literally had to walk away. Police take Joan, Elizabeth, and Vera into the station for questioning. The detective began questioning Joan, and she right off the bat stated that she did not kill her husband and that she knows that usually the first suspect is the spouse, uh, but wanted to reiterate that she did not kill David. Joan maintained her story uh, that it was an intruder that shot David. Elizabeth and Vera, their story was that they were either asleep with the music playing, they never heard any gunshots or anything and and did not know anything about what had happened. Elizabeth talked about how much of a good person David Shannon was and that her mother and he had a great marriage. At the conclusion of that questioning, all three of them were released because there was not enough evidence against any of them to hold them. I think that Joan walked out of the police department thinking that she had just gotten away with murder. But will this swinger and mother of four remain free to collect her money and fulfill her sexual desires with a man she loves?
David Shannon has been murdered by his daughter Elizabeth at the instruction of her mother Joan. And it looks like they've gotten away with the crime. An investigation begins immediately, starting at the Shannon home. Officers are taken aback by what they find. In a closet in the Shannon home, there were many pornographic magazines, sexual toys, pornographic videos. They found a large number of sexual paraphernalia under the bed. They found a significant amount of pornography and videos and magazines in places that would have been easily accessible by the children. These weren't locked away or hidden away. They were very accessible. As investigators dig deeper, more secrets are revealed when the evidence of Joan and David's swinging lifestyle is discovered. On the computers in the Shannon home, there were photos from the sexual swinging parties of, of Joan having sex with other men, and many of these pictures were taken by David Shannon. During questioning, Joan admitted that she and David had an open marriage. She went into detail stating that she and David were swingers and that they had sexual relationships with other people. She was asked if she had ever developed feelings for anyone while engaging in this swinging lifestyle, and she stated that she had developed feelings for Jeff. Even in front of authorities, Joan can't help gushing about her lover, Jeff. But little does she know, this lands him as a person of interest in the midst of a murder investigation. If Joan had developed feelings for someone else, that could be a good reason for her wanting her husband to be killed. The detectives made contact with him and inquired as to the relationship that Jeff had with Joan. He stated that it was a sexual relationship and went into the detail of being at the swinger parties together. Jeff stated that he was unaware of the murder or anything to do with the murder. Jeff has a solid alibi that checks out. He was working the night of the crime. He's cleared of any wrongdoing, and the case is back to square one. The detectives began questioning family, friends, co-workers with David and Joan in attempts to locate anyone with any additional information. The, the police were having a difficult time with this. They didn't really have a lot of good, good leads, I don't think, initially. But suddenly, there's a break in the case. Shortly after the murder, an anonymous tip came into the Fayetteville Police Department that Elizabeth Shannon had killed David and that she had done it at the request or uh, with her mother. They were able to get some, uh, the person to give their name. And that person came in and talked to the police, basically saying that Elizabeth was going around saying to some of her friends what had happened. As you can imagine, these are these are young teenagers and they, they talked. Detectives turned to Vera, Elizabeth's friend who was staying at the Shannon home the night of the crime. The detectives brought Vera in for additional questioning. And at this time, Vera stated that Joan had wanted David dead and she had made Elizabeth do it. Police have what they need to apprehend both Joan and Elizabeth. On July 30th, 2002, Joan Shannon is arrested for the murder of her husband, David. But it looks like Elizabeth is on the run. Elizabeth was nowhere to be found at this time. Detectives began looking for Elizabeth, 
and a few days later, they received information and located her hiding under a futon couch at one of the friend's houses. On August 2nd, Elizabeth Shannon is arrested. Elizabeth came clean and told him that she had in fact committed the murder and uh, it was at her mom's request. Never forget that Elizabeth was 15 years old when she did this. She didn't mastermind it, her mother did. And at some point when the questions started coming in, it won't take long for her to remember the mother who didn't love her. When asked, why did you do this? Her response was, I got tired of her asking me to kill him. I just, so I just did it to get her to stop asking me. The trial for the murder of David Shannon begins on August 15th, 2005. Elizabeth pled guilty to conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and second-degree murder. Elizabeth was very remorseful and apologetic for what she did. She realized that she had probably killed the one person that really cared about her and her family. Joan Shannon pleads not guilty to all charges. She maintained throughout the entire case and still maintains to this day that she did not do this. It was all the work of an angry young teen lashing out at the father who was trying to give her discipline that she didn't want. The prosecution team doesn't agree. That is not a consistent position with the evidence. There was multiple witnesses that testified that they had heard Joan openly talk about in some way, shape, or form that she wanted her husband dead. Jeff testifies that he wasn't involved in the murder plot and hasn't had any contact with Joan in years. Now it's in the hands of a jury. And after a two-week trial, the court bailiff announces they have a verdict. Joan Shannon was convicted of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact to first-degree murder. When the jury announced that it had found her guilty, Joan did not show much emotional reaction, if any. She maintained her calm demeanor. We have a lot of strange cases in Fayetteville, but this perhaps is one of the, the most bizarre, the most strange because of, of all the different dynamics, the sex clubs, the players working against each other for all of their personal interests. It, it was, there's just nothing quite like it. As you peel away the layers of the onion, it just got more strange and more sad and more dysfunctional. Elizabeth, she wasn't born that way. Joan Shannon created Elizabeth. I would sum up this case as one of the most tragic situations that you could ever see. You've got a mother that manipulated her 15-year-old daughter into killing the only person she ever knew as her father. And you have a person that had served honorably in the United States military, David Shannon, that was murdered as a result uh, of this plot uh, to take his life. So it was just a tragic situation that ruined three lives. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.